you do me a favor? We have p- folks that join us every week online, uh, up in Worcester, um, all over the, the state, really all over the place. And would you do me a favor? Let's give them a great big hand clap and celebrate them joining us. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're so glad to have you here at Life's on Church. We have a saying around here. We think Sunday should be the best day of the week. If it's not, just think we're doing it wrong. So if this is your first time at Life's on, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My wife and I are so honored to have you join us at Lifesong, all of our staff team has been expecting you, preparing for you, and hundreds of volunteers have been expecting and preparing and praying for your arrival at church today. We hope you have a great experience because we believe that Sundays are particularly special. The gathered church, we believe, leads to a disciple church. When we gather together, we get to grow in our walk with God. We get to learn from scripture, worship impassionately, and we get to do it with people who don't have it all figured out yet. Look at the person beside you and say, you're a wreck. Go ahead. Look at the person on the other side and say, but I'm better than I used to be. Go ahead. All right. We're going to have a a little bit of fun, but I also just want you to, not but, like there's going to be some fun, but then it's not going to be fun. That's not what I mean. We're going to have a little fun today, but today is week two of our pause series. And uh, last week, my uh, wife kicked off our series last week out of Joshua chapter five, an incredible message on how to battle. Can you do me a favor? Let's give her a great big hand clap. I was so proud of not only your message, but the, uh, the feedback and the impact and the reach from your transparency and vulnerability and willingness to share. Uh, of course, always, uh, you know, I get it all the time, but our church benefits from it. And um, I'm so grateful that you were so willing to get up and share in the middle of the battle that you've been in. I was really proud of you. Today, we're going to continue in, uh, in the book of Joshua. So I want you to do this for me. I want you to grab your, your Bible. Uh, I'm using my phone today for my Bible. I want you to grab your Bible or your phone. If you're going to look in it there, that's fine. But um, get it in front of you, however you want to look at it. If you want a printed Bible, we'll give you one. We've got them right down at the end. One of our VIP team can put one in your hand. Um, but if you have a digital device and, and you don't have a printed Bible, you can go online to Uversion or download the Uversion app. And you can uh, not only follow along in Scripture there, but you could also open the Lifesong Church event that's within the Uversion uh, app. And you've got all the notes there, all the links to everything. Everything is prepared for you for church every weekend in Uversion in the events section. So you can do that there. But we want you to have your Bible. I want you to open it to Joshua chapter 9. We're going to read it in just a minute. And here's, here's, here's kind of where we're going here. How, how many of you um, have more than one sibling? Anybody have more than one sibling? Okay, great. All right. Um, so I have, I have two younger sisters, one who's two years younger, one who's four years younger, one that's 19 years younger, and one that's 21 years younger. And um, yeah, I don't know what happened. My parents must have, you know, eaten bad mushrooms because they started to had two more young kids, right? That, like you're kind of through all the bills and then you started over. I don't know what they were thinking. Mom and dad, I love you. I still don't understand. Okay. So, um, but anyway, I love my four sisters. They're awesome. All sisters, no brothers, but the, uh, Janelle said, uh, uh, and, uh, but I love my sisters anyway. So, um, but my sisters, they're two younger and, and then me, and then they're the two younger, younger. And so the three of us grew up together, the older three, and we had times, right? Have you, anybody ever felt like those of you who have more than one sibling, sometimes you feel a little like Switzerland, like you're in the middle between two or three other siblings and the fate of whatever debate or argument or battle is about to happen rests entirely in your hands, right? If, if I kind of side with, in, in Heather's case, she was in between Laura and me. If, if we were in a disagreement, like everything rises and falls on Heather. If Heather sides with Laura, takes Laura's side, which happened all the time. 
then Laura's position or her, her you know, the, the things she wanted or was, was, was vying for would be what came to pass. Even if it was because Heather just, when, when, you know, when my mom came in or my dad came in and there was a, you know, we were battling, battling, we didn't see God, but we were battling. And Heather, my mom and dad would come in and say, what's going on? And Heather would say, well, David, da, 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 da. She didn't even have to actually agree with Laura. She just had to make some statement about me and it was as if the whole battle turned on a dime and Laura got the victory. And I don't know if you've ever felt a little bit like I have a great position, but yet I'm still surrounded. I have a great perspective, but even from my place of perspective, I still feel like there's an enemy on every side. The journey of the book of Joshua, if you have not begun reading, you're about nine chapters behind, so get your pause book and catch up. The, the entire book of Joshua is not only battles, it's my favorite Old Testament book, but it is also um, a journey of how to handle the fulfillment of and the, uh, the attainment of the promise that God has already made to you. It's, just, it's, it's, an, it's an arc of a story for us on what we go through in hearing not only the voice of God and the message of God and the promise of God, but the journey that we undertake to walk into the promised land. That's what's taking place through the entire book of Joshua. And so my wife uh, gave you a big idea last week. It was so good and I think not only summed up her message, but summed up the entire book of Joshua. So we're going to read Joshua, Judges. We're going to read First and Second Samuel together over the next few months. But this is the arc for the entire book of Joshua. Write this down. This is really the series idea for the book of Joshua. And that is that moments win your battles more than muscles do. Moments win your battles more than muscles do. That there is a part we play. You can't be completely absent from the battle, sit on your behind and think that every battle is just gonna come your way because God is on your side. It's true, God is on your side. God doesn't lose battles, but you play a part in it. And that's the journey of Joshua. Over and over and over and over and over. Joshua has an encounter with God, a moment with God, a word from God, a, a, a commitment from God. And then he has to lead the people in the carrying out their muscles have to get behind and activate the moment. And today, we're going to look at a couple of passages. Uh, actually, we're going to read the entire book. Uh, entire book, not the entire book. That's a lie. We're going to read the entire chapter of Joshua chapter 9. And here's what I want you to kind of get a picture of. So you, you need to understand a little bit about the geography to understand what is taking place. Because as you read through the book of Joshua, you read lots of names of towns or of kingdoms. And there are kind of seven kingdoms that make up uh, Canaan land. And they're broken out. There's some smaller kings. There's 31 kings that he has to battle and all this stuff. But there's kind of seven kingdoms. And you hear them repeated over and over in the book of Joshua. I want to, I want to give them to you real quick. They're the, the Hivites and the Girgashites and the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Perizzites not parasites, and the Hittites. And these seven kingdoms make up the west side of the Jordan River. Now, the Israelites, it's important that you get this context, they come out of Egypt after their rescue. Janelle took you through this whole thing, but they make their way over 40 years around Moab to the Jordan River. They come across the Jordan River at a particular place. God backs up the water during flood season. It's an amazing story, but they come across and they begin their journey of battles. And right on the other side of the Jordan River is where Gilgal and Jericho are. They're, they're kind of right there just as you cross the river. So if you can picture it, they come around through the bottom, they come up the east side and they come across the river. 
And right there, they begin their battles. But here's the thing. Where they are is not far from the floodplain of the river. So where they are is still somewhat in lowland. They're still down below the hill country and the, the mountainside. They're, they're down near the floodplain. They're in the lowland, which makes them an easy target. If you know anything about fighting, you know that how important it is to have the high ground. It's just, if you're going to win a battle, you're going to win a war, you're going to win any kind of engagement, you want to have the upper hand. You want to have the high ground. And interestingly enough, God brings Joshua and the Israelites out of and around Moab after all these years to the Jordan. They go across at the lowest point. The river just floods out. And when it spreads out through the floodplains, it's a couple of miles wide. So it's the lowest point. Everything, they've come down to the river, across the floodplain, through the river, and they're still now trying to come up and out. In fact, if you see the pictures of Jericho and the way the walls are built, it's very obvious that you're going up to get into Jericho. But from Jericho and Gilgal, they continue up through, kind of, kind of westward, up into the hill country where they deal with Ai. That's another story that, we, that you should have already read in, in Joshua. Before they get to this moment in chapter 9, and here's what I want you to understand. You can go and look up the, the, the map if you want to. Maybe it'd be better for you to see it in person. But here's what's happened. They've come out of the lowland and Joshua is being led by the Lord from the lowland to the heart of Canaan and the high country. The place from which every battle we have a better perspective on and we can tackle. And more importantly, we can divide and conquer. But from that position on the high ground, up near, past AI, up the, kind of up in the hill country, they're also surrounded on every side except the side they just came from. So they've conquered Gilgal and, uh, and Jericho, and they come up and they battle AI. And when they battle AI, they have a bit of, of difficulty because the, they, they kind of get defeated and have to reapply, so to speak, to win the battle. It's an in, just a great, great study all by itself. And that emboldens, the story emboldens these kingdoms that they're surrounded by, these seven kingdoms. And they begin to gather some interest in not only Joshua and the nation of Israel, but believing that despite what they've heard, there may yet be hope for them anyway. So we're in Joshua chapter nine. I'm gonna read out of the, uh, the New Living Translation. And um, one of these tribes is called the Hivites. The Hivites are really, the, the, the kingdom is on the northern end of Canaan land. If you come across the water toward the, you know, you're heading back west across the water, which is what they were doing, and you kind of end up in the center of the nation. Well, the, the northern part of the nation is really where the Hivite kingdom is. And Hivite means wicked. That's what it means. And they're connected to the Canaanites, who was Noah's, I think, fourth son, and, and uh, uh, descendant of Noah's fourth son, and, and the the, the name of the small city kingdom that we're going to read here, our descendants are connected to, they're populated by the Hivites. So when you read these names, I know they're confusing and I know we can kind of get lost in them and we can kind of disengage from the people part and the kingdom part, but it's really important that you understand that the Gibeonites, not Gideonites, those are the Bible people. Some of you haven't looked in your hotel bedside anytime recently. But the Gibeonites are descendants. They're connected to. They come out of the Hivite kingdom. And the, the, the Hivites are, by name and definition, evil. And so here's what we've got in Joshua chapter 9. So all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. And these were the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites 
who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon, that's a city, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever been in a bad situation? You're not, not sure how it's going to go, and you end up saying something you shouldn't or to, you know, distorting the story to protect yourself. Anybody ever do that? Come on. Listen, you're doing it right now by keeping your hand down. I'm just letting you know. They resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. Now, this is an important thing. When you read your Bible, when you're going through your pause journey, you're in the Bible and you're reading through the scriptures, sometimes we can get lost, uh, kind of distracted almost in the reading by two things. Number one, by things that are not known to us, like the names of all the kingdoms. If we just read through that list, it's kind of like, it's meaningless to us. We don't know where they live. We don't know their purpose. We don't know anything about them. If we read this and it said they were surrounded by the Plymouthites and the Uxbridgeites and the Milburyites, we would know exactly, like we, we understand those towns. We know the people that live there. We know all the great things and the not great things, the reputation and the way they function. We know their athletic kids. Like we know lots of stuff, but when we read our Bible, we often don't know that stuff. And part of the way we get the most out of the scripture is we take the time to note some details. One of those would be, who are the people? Why are they naming the people? So we learn a little bit about them. The second thing is the script, whenever there's a lot of detail, like old weathered saddlebags, Patched wineskins. The Lord is trying to convey to us some important information. That doesn't, we don't need to know that to know the arc of the story, but there's got to be a reason. There's some detail. And so I would encourage you in your Bible reading to, to come up with a way. I don't know how you do it. Some people use inductive, you know, um, notes and whatever. You highlight different things in different colors or circle versus square versus whatever. I don't care how you do it. But take some time when you're reading your Bible, particularly with your pause book, and note some of the unique details that probably you think, like, why does it matter that I know that it's an old patched wineskin? Like, what, what does that even mean? And it will help you go and do a little bit of study and inform you a little bit. You can go and read it a hundred places about it and help you get more out of the passage than just the meta arc. Or for many of us, it's just, I got through chapter nine. I checked the box. When Pastor David says I'm behind at church, I'm gonna be able to say, no, I'm not. That's not the goal. The goal is for us to get something out of it. So here's what the detail. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, now listen, Gilgal, you remember what I said, it's, it's sort of in the vicinity of Jericho, and it's down a little bit from Ai. The, there's the hills, up the hill. This is important. They told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. And the Israelites replied to the Hivites, how do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. Now listen, when you read this, if you don't, if you, if you haven't read the book of Deuteronomy, 
You, you may not remember this. You may not know this at all, but the journey that Joshua is on was actually commissioned to Moses and then to Joshua by default. And in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses one and two, if you want to, you can flip over there and you can highlight it. But if you, if you read Deuteronomy, you know why that statement is such a big deal. Because you'll, you'll read it and go, wait a minute, Joshua, what do you mean you can't make a treaty? Doesn't everybody need an ally? I always wanted Heather to be on my side. She would take Laura's side time, but I wanted her on my side. If Heather said, now listen, you know, we, David, I've traveled a long way to get here and I'm willing to, to you know, kind of link up with you and make a treaty, I would be like, great, I'll win everything now. And Joshua could have, could have, right, in his natural could have done this. But here's what, here's what Deuteronomy chapter seven, the first two verses say to us. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he's speaking to Moses and telling them where he's sending them. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you go to possess it and casts out many nations before you, the Hittite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all seven kingdoms God names in Deuteronomy chapter seven and tells Moses, the land I'm sending you to has seven major kingdoms and all the kingdoms I'm gonna deliver into your hand. In Deuteronomy, Moses is not yet fully delivered the message. They haven't, full, they haven't gotten there yet. The rest of Deuteronomy is all about the instructions of the Lord. And if you keep my commandments, then I'll bless you beyond measure. Like over and over and over the Lord. And, and it says that the, they counted it as their righteousness. It is the anchoring point for our misplaced theology that if we perform right, God will bless us instead of believing that in the righteousness of Jesus, we are blessed and we respond by living right. Those are really, really different things. And, and in Deuteronomy, the Lord lays out the structure for how the Hebrews are to live and that righteousness of life brings the blessing of God. And he tells them that the master blessing is their delivery into Canaan. And he says, I'm gonna give you all the kings, but keep reading. Seven nations which are greater and mightier than you, those seven nations, I'm gonna put them in your hands. And when the Lord your God delivers them up before you and you strike them, and look at this, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. So God tells Moses, Moses teaches Joshua. Joshua was there for this. Well, I mean, he wasn't present for the word, but he was around. It wasn't like this was three generations before him. And God tells Moses, when I give you the kingdoms and you go in and you conquer all these seven kingdoms by name, they're stronger than you. They're mightier than you. He reminds Moses that the, the things you're going to battle should take you out, but they won't because I will deliver them in your hand. He ensures that Moses knows the source of the victory, even though he has to play a part in walking it out. You got to hear that. There is no victory that you will attain that the Lord is not going before you to prepare it for you, but you still have to walk into the land and fight some of the kings that are living there. And Moses is told by the Lord, you're going to go fight somebody who's stronger and mightier, and I will deliver them. And he says, but make no mistake, 
None of the people of that country are for you. You will take no husbands or wives there. You will not retain any of the people. Don't mix with their traditions or their false idols, the, the worship of Molech or of Baal. Do not mix. You just conquer it because I'm going to give it to you. You shouldn't be able to have it, but I am the Lord your God, the one true and living God, and you are my chosen children. I will deliver it for you, and you will live in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, but make no covenant. Go back to Joshua chapter 9. How do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. So Joshua declares to them what the Lord has already said to him. I know that if you're part of Canaan land, as much as you're here and seem to be in need and even wanting to help, the Lord has told us what we're to do. I cannot make a treaty of peace or covenant with you if you live nearby. Now, if you're traveling from like Newport, I can make a treaty with you. But if you're from Uxbridge or Douglas or you're from Oxford or Millbury, if you're from our area, I hate to tell you this, but we're going to crush you. Like, And they answered. So, so Joshua says, uh, they replied, we are you, your servants, verse eight, but who are you? Joshua demanded, where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord, your God, and all of all he did in Egypt. We also have heard what he did to the two Amorite kings along the east of the Jordan River, just before they crossed. King Sihon of, of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. Lots of detail, lots of detail. We didn't need all the detail, but the Lord was wanting us to have all the detail, so he instructed by his Holy Spirit that it be recorded. So the Israelites examined their food and read this but they did not consult the Lord. So the Israelites examined the food, but they didn't consult the Lord. And then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Here's what I want you to write down. We have to improve as men and women of God, whether you're a uh, uh, in occupational ministry as a pastor, a director, a leader, whether you're a small group leader, whether you lead a kid's team, whether we're talking about your family and, or a future marriage. Like uh, this applies to all of us regardless of our application or our ministry function. This is true. We have to learn to restrain our commitment until the Lord releases us to make it. Far too often, we say yes to something before we've gotten the yes from the Lord to say yes. And, I, and I'm telling you, I, I watched this happen more relationally than in any other area. In any other area. Uh, uh, people say, well, do I need to do that about buying a car? Well, I'm not saying you need to. I'm saying it'd be smart to. Do I need to? Lord, should I take on this debt? Lord, should I leave this you know, house? Lord, should I change my job? There are a hundred reasons that would convince me there's bread and there's worn out saddlebags and there's a lot of circumstances. Listen to me. 
There is always going to be circumstantial evidence that would lead you to a place of making a commitment or a decision without consulting the Lord. And it's exactly what Joshua did. He'd been instructed, no treaties, no covenants. Take the land. I'm sorry. I love my creation, but these people are evil and they are standing against the things of God and my people. I'm going to send you in, make no treaty. But circumstantial evidence led Joshua to make a decision. He didn't consult the Lord. And we do it. And I'm telling you, telling you, telling you, you hear my wife say it when she's up here. You've heard me say it. If you are in a relationship with someone who does not know the Lord, circumstantial evidence cannot be what you rely upon for a commitment. They showed up at church three times. Doesn't mean they've decided to follow Jesus. They say they're going to go with me once we're married. Sure they will. They're going to wait and put their best foot forward after you're married. They don't mind that I go. That doesn't mean anything. Today, they're going to mind it at some point when you want to live it and it conflicts with their comfort. Pick an area. We have to learn to restrain our commitment until the Lord releases us to make them. And I, I wrote these four things down. We rush into commitments because of these four things. I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, we are too self-reliant. Number one, you're from New England and New Englanders tend to be super self-reliant. And um, part of that is also achievement or accomplishment or education. And we become so reliant on our, our own personal wisdom, our own personal experience, our own personal knowledge, our own personal, you know, we've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps for 23 years. We'll be just fine. I can make a way for myself. We're self-reliant. And self-reliance means I can arrive at conclusions without having to consult the Lord. Joshua had conquered some people. And remember, he didn't make this, listen, he, Joshua didn't make this decision out of willful disregard for the Lord. He didn't say, well, forget you, God, I want him. We, we hear what happened. What happened was there was all this circumstantial evidence, and it says, and he didn't consult the Lord. He just didn't go spend time with say, Lord, is this right? Like the Lord may have said, they're lying. Number one, we're too, we, we can become too self-reliant. Uh, number two, we like the feeling that we get from the commitment we're making. I mentioned relationships already. We like the way it makes us feel. We like the person that we're dating. They, they, they make us feel good. It's comfortable. The thing I like, I, I want to buy that car, buy that house, spend that money, get that thing, and it's going to make me feel good. doesn't mean that we should be committing to the $400,000 debt or to the car payment or anything else. There's a hundred things that we should process and let the Lord speak into. Here's the third thing. We haven't rested enough. And this is, this is the most challenging one for me, I'll just be honest, is, is, is getting time to actually just rest so my head is clear and my hearing is clear. We, if we don't rest, whomever we are, we ha have to figure out how to make that happen. If we don't rest, we'll always have trouble hearing from the Lord. And then lastly, we have to get too much done. Um, you could say this is a busyness problem. You could say it's an, an, an ambition problem. I don't know where it's rooted. Um, it could be a pride issue. We, just, we think we look good when we do a lot. But those four things get in the way. We rush into commitments because we have too much to get done is the last one, okay? So let's keep reading here. So the Israelites, and Joshua made a peace treaty, verse 15, and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. And three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. And in my translation, there's an exclamation point there. There's emphasis in the language that is like a, can you believe it? They discovered what they could have known had they simply consulted the Lord. They discovered it. 
right, that they live nearby. So the Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their towns in three days. The names of these towns, the people, they went and sought out their towns. Their towns were Gibeon, Kapira, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim, or however you say the last one. But the Israelites did not attack the towns. Listen, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So important that you hear that. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. There was presumption, maybe, that they hadn't listened to the Lord. There was, dis, there was disheart, maybe we're going to forfeit our whole promise of Canaan land because you did this. Like, who knows what the grumbling and complaining was, but they were upset with the leaders of the nation and, and these millions of Israelites that were coming to occupy Canaan land. And they said, how, you know, basically, how dare we do this? We went and figured out what you could have discerned from the Lord had you listened. And the, the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. And this is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live. Here's what I want you to, to write down. It's the second kind of big point. Is we all have to be better at keeping our word, especially when it's hard. We all have to get better at it. I have to get better at it. My team has to get better at it. You as fathers and mothers have to get better at it. You as children, spouses, we have to get better at it. We all have to continue to get better at keeping our word, especially when it's hard. See, Joshua had gotten direction from the Lord through Moses in Deuteronomy 7 that they were not to make any treaties. They were not to let anybody live. But Joshua then, without consulting the Lord, gave his word as the standing leader of the Israelites and God's chosen shepherd for that nation. He made a, a, a covenant, scripture says, with Gibeon. And the result of the covenant is, right, if I'm really a man of the Lord, I'm really a man of, of honor, I'm really the, 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 the servant of the living God, I now won't go break my covenant because I disobeyed the Lord. And so Joshua says to the leaders, the leaders say to the community, listen, we can't touch them. We've committed in the name of the Lord. We've ratified a covenant with them that we will not hurt them, even though they deceived us. And one would say, well, their deception makes your covenant invalid. Well, that's not true. They could have gone and gotten the answer, and they didn't. They made the covenant in spite of the deception. And so they, they, they make the covenant and Joshua says, we cannot do it. And the, the Lord himself in Psalm chapter 15, David's writing about who can come and reside in the house of the Lord in the tent of heaven. It says this in Psalm chapter 15, verses one, and then I'll drop down to verse four. Verse one says, oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And then it lists the qualifiers, so to speak. And in verse four, this is what it says. Him in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who gives their word, and even when it's uncomfortable or feels like I, I shouldn't have to keep my word, they keep it anyway. I said to you I would, and I will. It may cost me something. It may cost me time, comfort, money. It may cost me, but I'm gonna keep my word. This is dangerously uncommon, even in the church. To way too much. Do I, do you, 
Do we treat one another in ways that our word is not something we're going to keep? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't all mess up. Everybody messes up. I'm not talking about mess ups. I'm talking about ongoing integrity problems where we give our word and we just don't follow through. We don't do what we say. Particularly, it seems like it's been a rash of it over the last two years in, in the marriage arena. The, the amount of divorces and, and the language around them has been mind-boggling to me. Well, I just don't like you anymore. Oh, you're just not nice to me anymore. Oh, you don't make hot food anymore. Whatever. Like it, it's like, really? You gave your word. You vowed to serve a person for the rest of their life. Imperfectly, but that was your vow. We get through the hard things no matter how long the hard season is because we gave our word. And we keep our word and we change not. And Joshua is a, I mean, a miraculous example of it. I, I, I'm just telling you, I, this is a tough one to wrestle through theologically. There's all kinds of conversations around, should this have been handled that way? Should it not? Because this leaves a remnant in the, in the nation of Israel that gets, you know, intermarried. Like there's all kinds of theological stuff and tentacles we can travel. I, I don't want to dig down into all that. Great stuff to go study if you want to. You can get lost in it. What I want you to see is that Joshua honored his word and said that we have to, because if we don't honor our word, we actually make the Lord angry. Some would say, well, you made him angry by making the treaty. Don't you get out from under the divine anger by now making it right and go ahead and attacking him? No, because I, I'm not going to compound one mistake with another one. And interestingly enough, what he does, I think, is just an amazing example of how we, as men and women of God, can live in the context of a culture that is desperately struggling for identity, safety, security, like the Gibeonites were. The Gibeonites were, they came to Israel looking for someone to protect them and guard them and watch over them, not only from the nations around them, but also from the nation of Israel itself. I got to find a way to keep myself protected from you and from everyone else. And, and how, how they got there may be wrong. Joshua should have consulted the Lord. All that is true. But the Lord can work in the, in the middle of all of it, even if we can go back to the beginning and said it would have been better if it was done this way and if we'd walked this path. That's absolutely true. But look what ends up happening with this nation. So Joshua called together, verse 22, the Gibeonites and said, why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed from now on. You'll always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. Now I want you to, to look at the interesting context here. He is telling them that they will never be able to experience blessing from heaven. You'll always be cursed. You're never going to experience the blessing even though you live in the Canaan lands, the promised land of the Israelites. You may get to live here because we're going to honor our covenant, but the kind of blessing that's poured out on the nation will not be poured out on you. But then he does, I think, a, just an amazing thing. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. Verse 24. They basically repent. They say, we did it because we, your servants, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and destroy all the people living in it. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and this is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. So in a moment, they said, effectively, you're right. We should never have done this. Do whatever you think is the right thing to do. And Joshua could have, in that moment, known or believed he was released from his treaty, his covenant, and then carried out what the Lord had given him in previous instructions. But he doesn't. We're at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. 
And here's what it says. So, and if you didn't know the story, or we hadn't been in this message, you might be expecting the next line to say, so Joshua got his mighty men and the armies, and they marched down and destroyed Gibeon just like they did Jericho, or whatever. But it says, so Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill him. He heard their acknowledgement, their repentance, and he went ahead and fulfilled his word anyway, because a righteous man keeps his word to his own hurt and changes not. And that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day when this was written about that nation. And here, here's what I want you to get. Joshua had the opportunity to absolutely wipe out the Gibeonites. They had thrown themselves on the mercy of the court. They'd said they were wrong and released him effectively from his covenant, but he kept his word anyway. And here's what he did. And this is what I think you and I have to learn how to walk into, particularly in 21st century crazy culture. We have to learn how to be purpose finders more than judgment seekers. Joshua looked at the Gibeonites and said, listen to me, you deceived us into protecting you. You lied and deceived us in every way. And yet, and yet, I'm going to make you vessels in the house of the Lord. You're going to chop wood for the, alt, for the fires. You're going to carry water for the congregation and the priests. You're going to serve the people of God and the house of God. I'm going to call purpose out of you when I should bring judgment on you. And I wonder... If you and, and I far too often find ourselves looking for a reason to convict instead of a reason to call out. What, what, what could Joshua have done? He could have said, no way, this is it. I'm so God. Lord, see, they've released me. I'm going to carry out your, your, your instructions to us. But he said, no. I'm going to call purpose out of you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to serve not only the living God, but to serve the people of the living God. You're going to chop wood and carry water. It's a big deal. You may say, well, it sounds like, didn't he say he was cursing them? Yeah, but I don't think the curse was the role. I think the curse was the fact that the blessing they were going to see around them, they would never be a part of. And then he said, but, but since you're going to be here, I'm going to call something out of you. And today, love it if you just close your notes and, and your Bibles and all that. I, I want you to know that there is something not only that needs to be called out of you, but that you need to become a caller outer. I teach our staff that one of the things that we have to develop as a, as a, as a, I think any follower of Jesus is learn to use our prophetic voice to call purpose out of people. God has placed it there, but he needs people to call it out of one another, to see it in someone and say, you know what? I think you would be fabulous at this. I can see this in you. There's a future and a, a characteristic and a skill set in you. And Joshua effectively does this as it in. Here's what you're going to get to do. I'm going to make you water carriers and wood choppers. So I'd love it if you would do me a favor. Would you, uh, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Turn your palms up toward heaven. Maybe you want to lean back in your chair, put them up real high. I want to pray for you quickly. And, uh, and then we're going to go, Father God, I love the opportunity to study your word with our church. I love the opportunity, God, to share the insights of your word, God, that, that, that hit us all differently, that your Holy Spirit brings certain things to the surface and quickens things to our attention. And God, as, as our church is reading through this book, as we're leaning into these chapters together, I know that there are moments that are hitting each of us in unique ways. And God, I pray that today as we've engaged 
Joshua chapter nine, Lord, that you have uh, spoken to us about the areas where we maybe can become better. Maybe it's our integrity, giving our word and keeping it. Maybe it's being a purpose caller, someone who calls it out of people more than we are a person who finds the reasons to judge and reject and condemn and to curse. God, whatever it is, I just ask that your Holy Spirit right now would also more than make us aware, God, but would give us the strength, the fortitude, the conviction, the certainty to walk out, step into, be more intentional in living in alignment with how you've instructed us even today in these moments. Lord, we want to be a conduit of your power like Joshua and the nation of Israel demonstrated to the world and a conduit of your grace and your mercy just as Joshua was an example even, uh, even in this chapter today. Lord, we pray that your name would be lifted up. In the name of Jesus would be made visible and famous because of the lives that we live. Before we go today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to count to three in just a minute. And I just want you to do me a favor and put your hand up real high. And our whole church is going to pray with you. So you have the opportunity to say, I need to surrender control and let Jesus be in charge. If that's you right now on the count of three, whether you're at home or whether you're in the room, put your hand up real high. Are you ready? One, two, three. Who would say that's me? There's a hand. Who else? There's another one. Who else would say that? Thank you, Lord. Who else would say, I need to surrender to Jesus? There's another one. I haven't surrendered yet. I need to. That's so good. If you're online and that's you, just put a hand emoji in the chat or whatever you need to do so we, we know that you're taking this step today. Church, with all those who've raised their hands, can we pray this prayer nice and loud with them? Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him, that he died for me, and for raising him back to life. Today, God, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin, would you make me new because of Jesus and not my good works? And today, Jesus, I surrender to you. I call you my Lord and my Savior. It's in your name that I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give it a great big hand clap. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship a little bit as we go. Thank